Far away, far away in the east, some clever men saw the star that God had put in the sky. They knew it was a sign a baby king had been born. He's here, they shouted. He's here. At dawn, they packed up their camels and wrapped gifts for the baby. They brought their most precious treasures of all, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Special, sparkly, lovely smelling things just right for a king. The wise men set off. They rode their camels across deserts, up mountains, down into valleys, night and day and day and night, for months until at last they reached Jerusalem. Jerusalem was by far the most important city for miles around, and as anyone can tell you, that's where a palace would be, and kings are born in palaces, so that's where they were. So they, but they were in for a surprise. They went to see King Herod. Herod. Truly, he'd know where this baby was, but he didn't. In fact, he didn't like the sound of new king. He didn't want anyone to be king except him. But Herod's helpers told them, Go to Bethlehem. That's where you'll find him. So they followed the star into Bethlehem, out of the nice part of town, through the not-so-nice part of town, into the really not-nice-at-all part of town, until it stopped right over a little house. Did they get it wrong, or was this what God meant? Sure enough, in that little house, they found him, the baby king. The wise men knelt down. They bowed their heads to the ground and gave them their sparkling treasures. The journey had led them here, to a little town, to a little house, to a little child, to the king God had promised all those years before. But this child was the new king of kings. Though he was the prince of heaven, he had become poor. Though he was the mighty God, he had become a helpless baby. This king hadn't come to be the boss. He had come to be a servant. Well, I sure appreciate them reading, and they actually, what they were reading from was the children's storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones, in case you're ever looking for a resource with kids to read with together. That's tremendous, and again, thanks for reading. And uh, they actually read the text of Matthew 2 that I want to talk with you about tonight. I want to talk to you about the wise men, and I want to talk to you about how the wise men were seekers. Um, some of you have probably seen that phrase that says, wise men still seek him. And the truth is, wise men, wise women, wise boys and girls still seek him. But what does their seeking look like? What can we learn from them? Some of you know that the wise men, even though our nativity scenes often have the wise men as part of that, they actually didn't come till later. How do we know that? Well, we know from several things. One, we know that they didn't come to a stable, they came to a house. We know that they came to a child instead of an infant. And when King Herod got angry because the wise men didn't come back to him, he sent out a message that all boys two years and younger should be killed because he was estimating maybe when this child was born. So the the wise men got there later. 
but that doesn't mean they're less important. And tonight, what I'd like you to imagine with me is what if the wise men, if we could have arranged for the wise men to be up here on the stage and they were to talk to you about what they've learned about spiritual seeking, what would they say? Because the truth is, I believe that all of us in this room are at some point on the spiritual map. We might be not ready to seek, we might be just starting to seek, we may have been knowing Christ for a long time, but we're still seekers. I've known the Lord for 40 years, but I'm still seeking Jesus each day and have a lot to learn about him. So I'd like to give you five things that I think the wise men would say based on Matthew 2. And by the way, you can actually read Matthew 2 on your own if you wanna read the Gospels, that's where this is found. And so let me uh, tell you that as I share these five, I don't expect you to remember all five. They're just short phrases, a way of remembering. But as you listen to them, I wanna invite you, which one stands out to you? As you think about maybe what God might be saying to you tonight, because it's my assumption that you're interested in seeking. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I'm gonna assume that you wanna know more. So here's the very first one that I believe the wise men would say to us. Don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. When you read Matthew 2, you discover uh, that the New Testament, Matthew's account, never tells us how many wise men there are. Now, all of us have been taught that there's how many wise men? Three, right? Now, there could have been three. We just don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't say how many. Uh, Our songs have said how many. We three kings of Orient are. And some people say, well, where did that three possibly come from? Maybe it was from the three gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. But the truth is, we don't know how many. We just know this. There was more than one. They didn't go it alone. At some point, they got together and said, let's seek together. And as they began to seek together, it it changed things for them. What kind of company do you keep? Do you keep company with at least some people that help you seek to get to know the Lord better? And if so, Are you also one of those kind of people that's helping other people seek to get to know the Lord better? Because there's something about not going it alone. Now, if you study Herod, if you study the Bible religious leaders of the day, they didn't go it at all. But these people left their homes and they decided let's not go it alone. What would that look like for you this Christmas season if you made a decision to seek like that? Maybe it would mean no longer uh, you know, ignoring when maybe somebody at work or somebody at school says, hey, do you wanna learn more about the Bible together? Do you wanna learn more about Jesus? It's tempting, isn't it, to just go it alone? I don't know about you, but as a pastor, I've had people regularly tell me, I don't need the church, I don't need other Christians, I think I can do it by myself. And that's tempting because people are messy. Sometimes it's just easier, right, to think about going it alone. But wise people don't go it alone. They do it with other people of like-mindedness. Here at Cherry Hills, here's how we've been saying it. We are fighting shallow Christianity by becoming H3 disciples of Jesus who are hungry, humble, and hospitable. And we're looking for other people that we can do this with. We don't wanna go it alone. So what would that look like if you decided not to go it alone, but to travel and to seek with others this Christmas? That's one way to consider as you seek this year. The second one that I think the the wise men would say besides don't go it alone 
is I think they would say, ask for directions. Ask for directions. What we notice is, is as the wise men made their way, they didn't exactly know what they were looking for or where to find this Christ child, but they got to Jerusalem. And when they got to Jerusalem, they said, where is the one who is born the king of the Jews? That's an interesting question. And as they asked that question, they got some help. God honored that question. I've talked to a number of people over the years as a pastor who have told me that when they were growing up or when they began to go through a time of questioning, they immediately encountered some people that called themselves Christians that said, this is a no question zone. We don't entertain questions like that. That's serious doubting. But in fact, you and I all know the only way to go forward is to ask questions. The only way to grow is to ask for directions. And God uses his word and other people so many times to help us. And these wise men were not too smart or too proud to ask for directions. Years ago, my wife and I got a Christmas card from some people in the church. And uh, it said this, know why Mary and Joseph arrived late to Bethlehem, too late to get a room in the inn? Because Joseph wouldn't ask for directions. And I thought to myself, that's kind of us guys, man. Sometimes we do that. But these wise men said, you know what? I know that I don't have all the answers myself. I know that I need to ask for directions. They did it. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor is to meet with people that have honest questions because usually I learn with them and from them. I don't always have all the answers, but there's something about being with someone who's humble enough to ask for directions. Second thing was that, and the third is... Here's the, here it is, don't go it alone, ask for directions. The third one, go the distance. Go the distance. When it says magi from the east or wise men from the east traveled, most scholars believe they probably came from modern day Iraq, Baghdad area. So about a thousand miles they had to travel. The other day I was driving in my comfortable car and I was thinking to myself, these guys rode camels or donkeys or walked a thousand miles. And most scholars believe they left as early as a year before they arrived in Bethlehem. Now, I don't know about you, but over a period that long, leaving a place that I'm not familiar with, having to figure out a way to communicate with people that speak different languages than me, different cultures than me, and wondering if I'm gonna have enough money to finance this trip and all that stuff in the days before credit cards. I mean, these guys, their seeking was tested but they went the distance. Years ago, in 1989, when the movie Field of Dreams came out, my wife and I were living in Iowa at the time. So we loved it when people would say, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. We loved all that because that was one of the famous lines from the movie, but if you've never seen it, Kevin Costner plays a farmer in Iowa who, as he's spending time in his fields one day, he hears a voice whisper to him, If you build it, they will come. And as he tries to figure out what that message is for him, he eventually shares with his wife that he believes that voice is inviting him to basically plow under his already maturing corn crops and turn that farm field into a baseball field that's well lit. Some of you have seen the movie and you know that's exactly what he did. He paid attention to that voice and he turned his cornfield into a baseball field. Well, at first, 
It was okay, it was kind of exciting, it was new. Most people thought he was crazy. The only people that supported him was his wife and his daughter. But as time went on, everything that he had believed what he'd heard his voice was tested because the bills started to mount up. And then the bank threatened to foreclose. And in those darkest moments when he was wondering if he was crazy, if he was nuts, a voice whispered to him again, and this time the sentence was, go the distance. Go the distance. Now, I'm not going to ruin the movie for you, but he goes the distance. And because he goes the distance, he meets people and he learns things that if he had quit, he would have missed. I wonder tonight if there's anyone that needs to hear me say under the influence of the Holy Spirit, go the distance. Don't quit. You're not crazy. Keep seeking me. Keep trusting me. I don't know what it is about this time of year, but there's something about this time of year that seems to intensify everything. And so our sadness seems sometimes to be deeper, our joy sometimes seems to be higher. The things that confuse us and the things that make us tense seem to be more intensified. But I know this well enough to know as a pastor that there are people that while some are joyful, other people, I just today I was conversing with a friend who's looking down the pike at possibly losing one of the most important people of his life in the next week or two. And he desperately needs to know that God wants to help him, not quit. And so I'm praying that the Holy Spirit, if that's you tonight, will whisper to you right where you are in a voice and a language that you can understand, saying, don't quit, keep going, go the distance. What would it look like for you to say, God, by your help, I'm gonna go the distance tonight with you? The fourth one, besides don't go it alone, ask for directions, and then go the distance is bow down. The wise men, even though they were influential, men of notoriety, considered very wise, looked up to by all the people, the Bible says when they finally arrived in Bethlehem and they saw the child, because of the revelation that God had given them about who this child was, when they got in front of this child, they did something very physical. They got down on their knees and they bowed down before him. And as they bowed down before him, they weren't just doing something physical, they were expressing with their hearts, you are more important than me. You are wiser than me. You are worthy of leading my life. You are worthy of being my king. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done this? Uh, you know how that old saying that says you can do this at home? This is something you could do at home. And uh, years ago, a mentor of mine, when I was early following Jesus, said, hey, Jeff, here's an idea. If you want to keep your pride in check or at least be conscious of your dependence on God, before you do anything else each morning, when you, you know, get out of bed, let yourself fall on your knees. And just there in the quiet for 30 or 45 seconds, say, Lord, I've never lived this day before, and I know my track record, I can easily do this on my own, but I wanna depend on you, I wanna adore you, I wanna acknowledge you this day as my king, my Lord, 
lead my life in ways that I can't lead my life. And then I'm going to be watching to see the ways you help me today. And then he suggested, and then before you go to bed at night, before you crawl into bed, bow down and meet God there again and say, oh God, I've tried to let you lead me today and sometimes I've done it and sometimes I've taken back control. But before I go to sleep tonight, I want to bow down before you and acknowledge you in your rightful place in my life. You ever tried that? Do you realize that before you go to bed tonight, if it's in your heart to do so, you could do that? And before you get up tomorrow and before all the gifts start flying or all the activity starts, you could do that first thing in the morning. That's maybe a way that you could seek him. So don't go it alone. Ask for directions. Go the distance. Bow down. Ready? The fifth one. Give him your very best. Give him your very best. The Bible says is that not only did they bow down and worship him, the Bible says that then they presented him with gifts. Now, most of us don't buy frankincense and myrrh for our loved ones, so we're not used to what that might be, but the point is, is that that was very costly, very expensive. Most of us know that gold is expensive, but gold, frankincense, and myrrh is what they brought. And all these were gifts that were worthy of a king or someone of royalty or nobility, and so they bring these and they present this to the king. And the point is, is that they gave something costly. King David once said, I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. And it's so easy a lot of times to just give him, you know, leftovers or give him, you know, something, but not necessarily our very best. When I was a young person, I remember hearing on TV and sometimes in stores, Hallmark greeting card slogan. Maybe you remember it. When you care enough to send the very best. And I remember thinking, there's some truth to that. When you care, you give your very best. And the Bible tells us that here's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about God giving us his very best. I have a little plaque at home, and it just has this little phrase. I, I always have loved it. It says, for God so loved the world that he didn't send a committee. <laughs> you know what he did? He sent his one and only son, Jesus, his best. Why? Because he knew that only by sending his son to be born in a human body could that son one day then grow up and not just teach us the way, but also be the human sacrifice in our place to pay for the penalty of your sin and mine, your willfulness, your apathy and mine. And by doing that, then he could rise again and he sits now at the right hand of God. And because he has given us his best, when he begins to work in the hearts of someone, they begin to say, oh, not as a way to earn God's love, but as a way to say thank you with the rest of my one and only life. I want to give him my very best. And so what would it look like for you if you gave him your very best in your work or in your homework? What would it look like if you gave your very best in loving your family members? 
What would it look like if you gave your very best in the way you did little tasks when no one was watching? What would it look like if you gave your very best with your money and your time and your heart? Wow, that's what these wise men did. And that's what they encourage us to do. They encourage us to think about our seeking. And if we're really interested in seeking Jesus, any one of these might help. After the last service, a young man came up and talked to me. And about two years ago, maybe three, he came up to me and said, I just need to tell you, I'm here, but I don't believe. I have all kinds of questions. I'm very skeptical, but I'm here and I want to learn. Thanks for your patience with me. I may bother you at times, but I just want to tell you, I believe this is a place I can do my seeking. A month ago, he wrote me an email and said, I just want you to know, through the help of others and through God's work in my life, I've put my trust in Christ and I'm following him now. And he came up and it was so neat to see him home and be able to catch up with him. And maybe that may be you. Maybe you've been seeking him and you just need the Lord to remind you to freshly seek him tonight. So if we put these up on the screen, which one might stand out for you? Don't go it alone. Ask for directions. Go the distance. Bow down. Give him your very best. Which one? Would you just take some time, just in the quiet now, before we wrap this service up, would you just ask God, God, which one of those would be important for me this week and the days ahead as I seek you or as I wrestle with seeking you. Would you take time to think about that? Here's one more thing you might do tonight or tomorrow if you're interested. If you came with someone who heard this message, you may just want to say, which one stood out to you? And just see, I, I asked some people after the last service, it was interesting to see what God was saying to people. 